You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Amen. Well, this has been an amazing service so far. Really grateful to uh, be with you guys. Uh, we're going to keep it short. I know we got all the food waiting over there, so you only got to put up with me for 20 minutes, and then we'll feast and we'll get some food, and uh, it'll be a great time. So my name is Justin Shump. Um, the West Side is home. I grew up on the West Side. Uh, I went down to San Diego State, just graduated there with a degree in marketing. Um, but I moved up here with my fiance Emma. Uh, we're both living on the West Side. Um, she's over there serving. She's splitting pizza, doing an amazing job. Um, but I've been uh, serving in the campus ministry, so helping out at a UCA and SMC. And it's been amazing so far just getting to spend time with students and interact with people on campus, and it's just been a total joy working with Lounsbury's and just the whole staff. Um, so we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, uh, for those who have been here, and we weren't together last week, we were at the congregational service down in Miracosta, um, so we had a quick break on, on the book of Exodus, and so we're going to kind of jump right back into it. Um, Steve preached two weeks ago about the crossing, how the Israelites were brought out of Egypt and then crossed the Red Sea. Um, so I'm going to be kind of recapping uh, the crossing and hitting just a few points on that. Um, so we're going to be preaching out of Exodus 13, if you can want to turn your Bible there. Um, and we'll go ahead and... There we go. So the title of the sermon is, is Crossing into Freedom. And this is going to be uh, part two. So, you know, as you read the book of Exodus and you read about all these kind of miraculous things that happen, it's easy for the focus to be on, you know, did these things really happen? You know, were the Israelites actually enslaved for exactly uh, 430 years? You know, did, did God actually appear to Moses in a burning bush? You know, did the plagues actually happen the way it says it did, or is this an over-exaggeration? You know, did God actually part the Red Sea the way it says it did, or did they kind of go through this, this swampy marshland? You know, did manna and quail actually come down from heaven? Did God actually lead them through fire and clouds? Did this stuff actually happen? So as you read about this miraculous stuff, it's easy to kind of get caught up on that. You know, did these things actually happen? And so as Westerners, we kind of get stuck looking for empirical evidence. You know, we kind of want to know, okay, did this actually happen? Where is the evidence? We want to see the fossils or we want to see the excavations. And we can easily kind of lose the, the picture that God is trying to paint with these stories. You know, we miss out on, on the meaning of the story, and we focus so much kind of on the fine print. So the goal of, of reading a book like Exodus is to kind of see the bigger picture. You know, what, what, is this, what is this picture, this beautiful picture that God is painting through us through his word? We get the next slide. So the entire book of Exodus, it's actually kind of an extended analogy of our lives as Christians. So God takes the Israelites through this journey of faith, right? It starts, they're, they're enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. He then leads them out, and, and they pass through the Red Sea. They pass through the water, as we talked about two weeks ago. And, and they get their emancipation. They reach their freedom. But then what happens? They wander in the desert of Sinai for 40 years. And after 40 years of wandering, they end up in the Promised Land. Now, as a Christian... We actually follow a similar journey of faith. You know, we all start out at some point enslaved to our sin. 
But then we reach the waters of baptism. We see the Red Sea part. We make it out of our sin. But then guess what? We don't go directly to heaven, do we? No, we're still on this earth. And we spend our days kind of wandering through the desert, wandering on this earth, trying to figure stuff out. And we try and build community, and we mess up a lot, and we leave God at different times, and we forsake Him, but then we go back, and then eventually at the end of our life, we reach the promised land. We reach heaven. So we need to kind of keep this in mind as we dive a little bit deeper into the story of the crossing that Steve talked about two weeks ago. So we'll pick up this is Exodus chapter 13. We'll start in verse 17. See, you have a water bottle. Thank you. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country. Though that was shorter, for God said, If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. If we get to the next slide, please. So this is the map of, of, of the Exodus. So they start in Egypt. Thank you. They start in Egypt, and obviously they, they, they have the plague, so they're, they're released from Egypt. And so this is the kind of the path they took. So God was saying, you know, I could have led the Israelites north. I could have taken them the land of the Philistines, and it would have kind of been a straight shot right to the promised land. That would have been the smarter way to go. But God says, I'm not going to take them that way. Why? Because they'll face war, and they'll get discouraged, and they'll turn around. And in verse 18, it says, the Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. You know, they thought they were going to have to fight their way out of Egypt. So God leads them towards the desert. And they knew that once they reached the desert, once they reached that wilderness, they will be completely saved. You know, on the way to the desert, they're probably looking back, saying, man, are we, are we out of Egypt yet? Are the Egyptians following us? But they knew once we get to that desert, once we get to the wilderness, we won't have to look back anymore. We just got to get to the desert. Let's keep reading Exodus chapter 13, verse 20. It says, After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. Desert, sorry. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So the Israelites get to about right here. This is Etham. So they're brought out of Egypt, and God brings them right to the edge of the wilderness. So they're almost there. They've almost attained their salvation. You know, they can see it. They can taste it. This is what they've been waiting over 400 years for. And then God does something absurd. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. You can go to the next slide, please. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Harirath, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. 
Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory through myself, through Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. You know, God brings them right to the edge of their salvation. Right to the edge of the desert. And then what does he say? Turn around. Start walking back to Egypt. And this is ridiculous, right? I mean, they were so close. They almost made it. Now, the story gets even crazier. Okay, go to Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. You know, as we know, Pharaoh decides to send his army after the Israelites. So they pursue the Israelites. And this is Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. It says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians, marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You know, the Israelites are thinking, this is the end. This is it. You know, we got freed from slavery, but... You know, slavery would be better than just getting demolished. And the problem is, is that when they come down to right there where it says Pahirath, they've got the Red Sea blocking them from the front, and they've got Pharaoh's army coming from the back. They're pinned down. There's no escape. This is the end. But we know what happens, right? We know God comes to the rescue. God parts the Red Sea... And the Israelites walk through on dry ground. And Pharaoh's entire army goes in after them. And after the Israelites make it to safety, God floods the waters, and the Egyptian army gets destroyed. And so it's easy to kind of read this story, and it kind of looks like God's playing defense. It kind of looks like God is just responding to to whatever the Israelite people do, or responding to, to whatever the Egyptians do. You know, if we know God, we know this is not the case. God is not a defensive God. God is an offensive God. None of this is random. You know, God had a plan from the very beginning to save the Israelites. He could have taken them north, but he decided not to. And this was God's plan. He says, turn around and pass through the water. You know, the Israelites thought they were going to have to fight their way out of Egypt. You know, they thought that their survival depended on their capabilities. So what does God do? Man, he deliberately proves them wrong. You think you're going to fight your way out? Well, I'm not taking you north. I'm taking you south. You think you're going to fight your way out? I'm going to take you to the edge, and I'm going to tell you to turn around. You can see your emancipation. Well, guess what? Turn around and trust in me. And what do they say? Why did you bring us here to die? Why is this God telling us to walk in circles? There's an army coming after us. And what does Moses say? He says, be still. The Lord will bring you out of Egypt. The Lord 
will fight for you. He tells them to turn around and pass through the water. We have to ask ourselves, why did God do this? Why did God tell the Israelites to turn around and to bring them through the Red Sea? Was it just for fun? Did kind of God enjoy kind of messing with the Israelites? Oh, let's see what we can do to them today. Was God on some type of power trip? I mean, obviously, if you've read the Bible, if you know the heart of God, the answer is no. So why did God do a bunch of things that seemed illogical? The answer is because he wanted to change the way the Israelites thought. You see, the challenge was not for God to get his people out of Israel, out of Egypt, I'm sorry. The challenge was not to get his people out of Egypt. The real challenge was getting Egypt out of his people. Because after being enslaved for 400 years, you start to think a certain way. You stop believing your God has any power. You start looking around at the Egyptian gods and saying, man, they seem like they're doing a lot better than our God. They're building pyramids. They're ordained with gold. What has our God done? He's left us here in slavery for 400 years. You know, you start to develop this toxic view of your self-worth. The Israelites were slaves. They spent their days making bricks, building the pyramids. So naturally, your value starts to come from how many bricks you can make. Your output becomes your identity. And worst of all, you get comfortable. You accept the reality of bondage, and slavery becomes more comfortable than freedom. And we see this over and over again in the book of Exodus. The Israelites saying, man, if we just go back to Egypt, if we just go back to Egypt... So as the Israelites walk out of Egypt, although they are free, they are bringing this toxic mindset with them. You know, the challenge was not for God to get his people out of Egypt. The challenge was to get Egypt out of his people. So for the entire book of Exodus, God's put so much energy into just changing their minds, changing the way that they thought. You know, you think your God is powerless? I'm going to send some plagues that are going to decimate the Egyptian gods. You'll see who's powerful now. You think you can fight your way out of Egypt? You think you can gain your own salvation? Turn around and be still. Watch what I'm about to do. Now, aren't we kind of like the Israelites? When we were trapped in the bondage of sin, didn't we doubt God's power? Didn't we choose to follow other gods? Before we were saved, didn't we have a toxic view of self-worth? Didn't our identity come from our output? All that mattered was how many bricks we could produce, especially in a country like America. Did our worth come from the numbers on our pay stub? Didn't we become comfortable in slavery to sin? Didn't being a slave to sin feel so much more comfortable than being free in Christ. And when we knew we needed to leave our life of sin, didn't we all kind of feel like, man, we're going to have to fight our way out of this? Didn't we all kind of leave Israel ready for battle? Feeling like, man, if, 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 
If we're going to do this thing, man, I, I, I got to do a lot. I know I did. You know, I, I grew up in the church, and so, you know, growing up in the church, it, it comes with tons of blessings. I mean, growing up in a, in a community, in a family, it's amazing. You guys are all amazing. But it also comes with some unique challenges. You know, most kids who, who grow up religious or grow up in a religion know it's easy to put up a front, right? And so even though the, the outside looks good, the inside can be this toxic mindset. And I developed a toxic mindset that was very similar to the Israelites. And so growing up in the church, naturally, my identity became my spiritual output. And so I, I believe that if I acted good, or I was a good person, then that's how I would achieve, achieve salvation. If God and sin can't be together, then I just won't sin, and then me and God can be together. So I just have to not sin, and then also do all this other good stuff that I'm supposed to do. And so it's this feeling of, man, like once I reach this, this level of spiritual merit, then I can get baptized. And so you hear people grow up in the church say all the time, man, man I, just don't, I just don't feel like I'm perfect enough to get baptized. I don't feel like I'm spiritual enough to get baptized. I don't feel like I'm disciplined enough to get baptized. And, and I, I really believe that this toxic mindset is, is why I've seen a lot of my friends, especially in the church, develop some sort of mental illness. Because they feel this overwhelming pressure to perform all the time. And they have this voice constantly in their head saying, you are not good enough, you are not good enough, you are not good enough, you are not doing enough, you are not enough. If you sin, you're a terrible, disgusting human being. And if you're not doing a bunch of things, if you're not going to every single church event and consistently bringing visitors and leading a Bible talk and baptizing tons of people, if you're not doing all this, then you don't have worth. You know, it's a toxic mindset that has plagued our church for decades. This belief that our worth as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, comes from what we can produce, from what we can build. And like the Israelites, our identity becomes our output. And so many of us, we leave our life of sin, but we bring this toxic mindset with us. And it's dangerous. You know, the Israelites thought they were going to fight their way out of Egypt. They thought their salvation depended on human effort. So this is why God says, stop. Turn around. You know, God wanted to see the Israelites have a mind change. He wanted to see them repent. Now we know what that word repent means, right? It means to change your mind to change your thinking. It's a U-turn. You're heading one direction, and you stop, and you head the other direction. Isn't this what God just told the Israelites to do? Didn't God just say, physically repent? So one thing you need to know about the Bible, all of the physical realities of the Old Testament become the spiritual realities of the New Testament. Now, we could talk about that for three hours, but just keep that in mind. All of the physical realities of the Old Testament become the spiritual realities of the New Testament. You know, there were many ways God could have chosen to save the Israelites. But you know what he chose? He said, stop, 
turn around and pass through the water. And this is how the Israelites were saved from the bondage of slavery. And you know what's crazy? Is God chose the same thing for us. You know, there's an infinite amount of ways God could have chosen to save us. But you know what he chose? Repent and be baptized. Stop, turn around, and pass through the water. The physical realities of the Old Testament become the spiritual realities of the New Testament. You know, God's mechanism for salvation does not change. It stays consistent through the entire Bible. You know, salvation does not come from human effort. It doesn't come from being a good person. It doesn't come from fighting our way out of Egypt. It comes from the power of God. It comes through the blood of Jesus. And so when we're sharing the gospel with people, or studying the Bible with people, I think we've got to constantly evaluate what are we doing? Are we just teaching people how to be better? Are we just giving people tools to help improve their life? Are we just preparing them for spiritual battle? Are we sending them out as soldiers to help win the world for Christ? Or are we sharing the power of the gospel? You know, I think often, not always, often when we study the Bible with people, we can act as though we're preparing them for battle. And so people feel like there's this to-do list. And now they've got to do a bunch of stuff in order to be right before God. Now let me ask you this. How do you want to be saved? If you're drowning in the middle of an ocean, would you rather have Michael Phelps come give you swim lessons or a Coast Guard helicopter fly out and pluck you from the water? What would you choose? You know, a lot of times we spend our Bible studies trying to give swim lessons. We try and teach people ways to improve their life. We need that Coast Guard helicopter to come and save us. We need God's power to save us. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. You know, when people study the Bible, they they feel like there's this to-do list. And again, these things aren't necessarily, if you need to do these things, they're inhibiting your relationship with God, you should do them. But people walk away feeling like, man, I need to stop doing this, and then I'll be right with God. I need to end this relationship, and then I'll be right with God. I need to reconcile this relationship, and then I'll be right with God. I need to start reading my Bible every day. I need to start giving my money to the church. I need to have these miraculous prayer times. I need to share my faith all the time. I need to go to four events a week. I need to submit to all authority. I need to forgive every single person who has ever hurt me in my entire life. I need to be absolutely pure. I need to call every ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend and reconcile every relationship I ever had, and then I'll be good with God. And people leave ready for battle. And repentance becomes all about us trying to clean up our own lives instead of letting God's power do the cleaning. The Israelites were not going to fight their way out of Egypt. They needed God's power to save them. Only God can do that. Only God can save them. But you know what's kind of interesting? 
And two chapters later, as we'll read uh, in a few Sundays, God sends the Israelites into battle. <laughs> and the Israelites go into battle and, and they defeat the Amicalites. You know, the Israelites, they, they left Egypt looking for a fight, but God said, no, I need to save you first. But then he sends them into battle to fight battles. You know, we all have battles we need to fight. We all have things in our life that, that we need to deal with. But before that, we have to be saved. God saved his people before sending them out to fight. And this is a hard thing to wrestle with. We can ask, well, why did God do this? I don't know. But I know that God's plan is better than our plan. I know God's way is better than our way. I know God's mechanism for salvation is so much better than ours. You know, you do not have to be perfect to have a relationship with God. You do not have to be perfect before you are baptized. You do not feel like you have to prepare for, for this spiritual war that you have to fight for the rest of your life. You need to be saved. You need to have a mind change. You need to stop, turn around, and pass through the water. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.